I've never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life. She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that. It was like a shockwave going through my body. At Spun Stories, we're all about busting stereotypes especially about living in Australia's top end. I'm Jess Ong, and today we're going back to the 90s when Sam Harley, lead guitarist of the iconic lesbian rock band The Blue House, toured the cities of the world, except Darwin, the one place she wouldn't give the time of day. We used to wake up in the morning and wring out our pillows... That were the kind of stories that my dad told me when I was just a little tacker growing up in Paran. And I used to wonder what he was talking about. And there were a few other harrowing stories like waiting for the weekly food truck with half a cabbage and a tin of meat. And I would watch the Channel 9 News in Melbourne lying on the nice warm carpet. And every night of the year, year after year, it was 31 degrees in Darwin. <laughs> I never understood this. I moved on to my, my adulthood and I did quite a few things, but one of them was, it is true, I was in a, a folk band and we travelled a lot and played a lot of festivals, you know, the Woodfords and Melbourne festivals and Edinburgh, five Edinburgh festivals. So we did a bit of dirty comedy thrown in there at times and America and Canada. You know, we were even on daily TV with Bert Remember Bert, Denise, and Elle McFeast the week after the Chopper Reed incident. And needless to say, there were a lot of lesbian fans. There were, we were three, three women. There was a lot of fan mail and autographs and a few stalkers that I found very unsettling. The other two in the band were always in a relationship, always, whether long-term or short-term. There was never a gap. And I would, I would meet lots of lesbians. I think it's worse being in a band, you know. It's, you'd think you would meet... You'd have the best opportunity to meet people and connect. And, and as the years went on, of course I did meet lots of fantastic people and connect, but I, I, I hadn't found that, that, that one thing that I thought, that one connection that I felt was what I should find even though there were lesbians everywhere. <laughs> and stalkers. In 2002, we played the gay games in Sydney. I mean, some of you might not know there are gay games every four years, like the Olympics. Two years after the Olympics, there's gay games. And they're really great. And we played the Annandale Hotel in Sydney. I, you might know it. Two nights in a row, crowd surfing. There I was, crowd surfing, and then being passed back onto the stage. It was pretty great, but I wasn't making that call home at, at night after the shows like the other two to that special person, and it was really getting to me. It was, it was really, you know, what's wrong with me? I, I should be, look at all these people, a bit like this. And the next night, on the Sunday night, after these massive, you know, crowd-surfing, crazy underwear-throwing lesbian gigs... 
We had a gig at the Coogee Bay Hotel, which for some reason I'd never been to in my life, and I've never been since. <laughs> Look, please, no disrespect to any, any member of the organisation, but it was the Australian Lesbian Medical Association's annual conference, <laughs> which coincided, dovetailed with the gay games. And we were playing the annual, like the conference, you know, the party night. And we, we arrive at the Coogee Bay Hotel and there's the stage, just the carpet. There's no stage, just on the carpet. Okay. And just before we go on stage, the organiser comes up to us and she says, now look, girls, I don't want you to hold back. You can be as dirty and filthy as you want tonight because that's a room full of lesbian doctors. Now, we, in all our years, have never been told that we can just go for it. Normally, we get subtle messages about, you know, go a bit easy, watch the language, maybe don't tell that joke. So we had the best time of our lives. This was the last gig we're expecting to have the best time. And that first set, I think, went for an hour and a half because we could not stop just making up ridiculous jokes. I'm sure one or two of them were okay, but they were pretty crass. And in the spirit that I took on that night, I foolishly said out to the audience, just before the end of that very long first set, are there any single lesbian doctors in the room? <laughs> you know, I was just, I was only joking. I was just... <laughs> and the set was over and you, made, you take your guitar off, you put it on the stand and normally you get off the stage, but it was, not, it was just carpet. So before I'd exited the carpet, these two doctors walked up to me, and one of them was very tall, and her name was Dr. Tall. <laughs> it's true. And another doctor, I don't know her name, and they said, are you serious? Do you want to meet a single lesbian doctor? And I thought, well, I'll put my foot in it now. I can't really say no. Inside, I'm terrified. Oh, God, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, because I'm in a band. So, yeah, oh, you bet, that'd be great. They do secret doctor sign language. And the short one goes off and the big one, like a security guard, so I can't. And I'm just terrified on the inside. I'm the short one in the band as well and I'm just like... Oh. And the others have gone for a drink, no support. Normally we have a sign in the band when you need help, it's this. <laughs> That's all you had to do and then they would come across the room and say, excuse me, you've got a phone call. And off you'd go and that's how you were rescued. But no, no, they were gone. So I think, oh, okay, so it'll, be, it'll be all right, it's okay. You just went a bit far in the set. It should be okay. So I can see someone possibly against their will being brought <laughs> through all these other lesbians in, in the direction of the carpet. And all I can see is a pair of jeans and thongs. I think, okay, oh, okay. And then I promise you the next glimpse was only from here to here. It was a pink, slightly frilly top, which alarmed me. 
I thought, oh, this is not my cup of tea. <laughs> and then I get a third glimpse, and all I see is from here to here, and it's the most beautiful woman I've seen in my life. Now I'm nervous. I'm just in a band. She's a doctor. <laughs> I still haven't gone to the toilet. <laughs> There's no help. And I can see she's not thrilled. She was probably having a great chat to some other lesbian in the room, doctor. And so, hello, you can imagine the com Oh, hi. I'm sorry you were dragged. N nice to meet you. And what, you're a doctor? Yeah, oh, I'm in a band, yeah. And, and oh, did you play music? Oh, you do, you used to play the trombone. Oh, I used to play the trombone. One minute, I think, into that moment, I knew that I was gone. <laughs> Never before. I was like frozen. Time had stopped and I didn't know what to do because here came the other two girls who were always in a relationship. And they're saying, come on, Harley, come on, get, we're so late, that first set. Oh, and I was faced with this terror. She has to get off the carpet and I have to play again. I know her name and that's it. So all I could think to do was look into her eyes like I had never looked at anyone in my life and hope that that might work. <laughs> and I said, this conversation isn't over yet. <laughs> And of course, in my head, I'm going, that, that was not a good thing to say. And then this I said, you, you weren't blunt enough. And then this one said, you should have got her number. The girls in the band are like, literally, here's your guitar, put it on. We're off and running. The second set was the worst set of my life. I couldn't look up. I couldn't play. I couldn't speak. I was just going, oh, OMG, you know. <laughs> I couldn't see her. I thought maybe she's left. It was terrible. A terrible 45 minutes. Gig ends, packing up, lesbians leaving, as they do. <laughs> I'm thinking, that's it. It's like Cinderella or something. Gone. And then at the back of the room, there she was. And she came up to the carpet. And she said, would you like to have a drink? I'm like, oh, fantastic. We had a great few drinks. A great evening. Somewhere during that night, I thought, this is more than one night. Whatever this is, this is more than one night. And then she said to me, I'm flying home tomorrow. I said, oh, yeah, yeah I'm off to Canberra. What about you? Where's home? And she said, I live on an island off the coast of Darwin. All the memories from my father. <laughs> he had run the Parap swimming pool when it first opened in the 1950s and 60s. And that's why he was telling me those Darwin stories. He drove out of Darwin in about 62 in a white Valiant with those curved wings, two kids in the back, and he apparently had nearly gone tropo from the heat and the bringing out his pillows. And there was one fan in the entire house. And this is what I grew up with. And here she was. And she lived not only in Darwin, but on an island off the coast of Darwin. So I have to spend every single minute I can before she gets on that plane. As we're sitting in the airport, they call her plane and she gets on in that tunnel thing, you know, to get on the plane. 
And as she goes off down that tunnel, I remember thinking, I thought my home was in Melbourne, but my home just got on that plane. And I didn't even have her number. (laughs) Because there's no mobile reception on Elko Island. (laughs) She was gone and I thought, that's it. But she had my number and I had reception. It was in Canberra, she rang me and then I had her number. On January the 15th, I landed in Darwin. Think about January the 15th. (laughs) This is absolutely true. There was a blackout, no lights, no power, no fans, no aircon, and I was meant to be getting on a little plane to hop out to Elko Island. I thought, this is exactly what my father told me. And I walked out onto that tarmac. I was terrified. I felt that. I thought, yep, wringing out the pillows. I got on that plane. I did it anyway. And now this November, it's 15 years later. We have two beautiful boys that we work pretty hard to get. And my father has even visited once. Sam and Danny and their kids live in Darwin. Happily, Australians recently voted to legalise same-sex marriage. The result was a win for equal love, so we look forward to loving relationships like Sam and Danny's to be recognised in the same way as heterosexual couples. And for more love stories like theirs, to end with the sound of wedding bells. If you like what you've heard so far this season, why not give us a rating or a review in iTunes? We appreciate all of your support. So you can find out more about us on our website, spunstories.net, or on Facebook or Twitter. You just need to search for Spun Stories. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lajlo Hassani, story production by Johanna Bell, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thank you for listening. Thank you.